There's a huge basketball coming up Saturday evening for the state of Oklahoma. Sooners and the Cowboys Bedlam basketball round one for the 2020-2021 basketball season. Rich, I miss football. I'm just going to throw that out there. I miss football. I, I love talking basketball. One of our favorite sports, softball's coming up, baseball's coming up, but I miss football. We do have some things we're going to discuss about the football program, but we do, I, I feel like at the we would be doing ourselves a disservice if at the front here we didn't talk specifically about Bedlam. And there's good news for Oklahoma that Jalen Hill is going to be back and available to play, but there's also potentially bad news is that Brady Manick seems to be like, now we're recording this on Thursday evening. At this point, it looks like Brady Manick is probably a no for this game. What does that do for the Sooners? That's a really good question. One thing that we know, Matt, about Brady Manick is he's an upperclassman. He has experience in Big 12 play and is really expected to dictate a lot of what this team does on the court. However, it will be potentially his third game in a row to miss with this Sooner team specifically. And Oklahoma has, I mean, for lack of a better way of putting it, Oklahoma has found players who have stepped into that role, mm -hmm. a scoring role for Brady Manick. It just hasn't been something that's been extremely consistent. You had Gibson, who had the eight three-pointers in one game, stretched the floor, allowed Oklahoma to open up lanes for penetration, as well as the slashers. And then in the second game, what we really saw was Devion Harmon take over that role with 22 points. Against TCU. Yeah, yeah. with 22 points of his own. It's it's not easy for me to say that Brannick, Brady Manick. Wow, Brannick. He just, yeah, no, just <laughs> made a new name. Together. But it's, it's not easy for me to say that he's not wanted on the court. For now, Oklahoma has found a solution mm -hmm. for his absence. I'm just wondering how far they can continue that into Big 12 play. And I'll say this up front. My honest opinion is for Brady Manning not to be on the court, Oklahoma's found the right moment for that to happen. Well, they yeah, they definitely have risen to the occasion without him. When you look at the the, the last two games they played, they went toe-to-toe -to -toe with Kansas and Lawrence. They just smoked TCU uh, in Norman the other night without him. I, I think what this you, – you hope it, that Manning's okay. You hope that um, – he, what he's dealing with because this isn't – if you're getting Jalen Hill back, and so this is just – there's nothing behind this other than speculation. You're getting Jalen Hill back. They both went out into COVID protocol at the same time. Jalen Hill's coming back. Brady Manning still is very questionable, if not doubtful. To me, that that screams that Brady Manning's actually dealing with COVID and not contact tracing where – and I could be totally wrong on this. Again, this is all speculation. So the first thing, though, here is you hope that Brady Manning's okay. You hope his health is okay. You hope he recovers, and, and you want to see him back on the, on the floor soon. But you're absolutely right. In his absence, Long Kruger has found just the right rotation to make this team still be able to go out and, and compete at a very high level. They they can they can be nasty defensively, like we saw in Lawrence, Kansas, and they can just be spot on and dominate like we saw the other night against TCU. So I I don't know at this point that I would say 
that without Brady Manick, Oklahoma has a lesser chance to lose. And then this is maybe as a, a statement that's going to contradict itself because I do think they have a greater chance to win with him on the floor, but I don't know if they have a, a, a greater chance to lose without him on the floor because we've seen them go, like I said, we've seen them go toe-to-toe with, with uh, Kansas. We saw them dominate TCU, and I know that all the Oklahoma State fans are going to scream, well, yeah, but oh, you just Oklahoma State just beat Kansas, you know, and that's fine. I'll give you that, but you know what? I'm going to see your Kansas, and I'm going to raise you a West Virginia where Oklahoma beat the Mountaineers in Norman, and we saw Oklahoma State lose to them. Yes, Brady Manick was there. So we can argue all around on this thing. At the end of the day, though, what it comes down to is you hope that Brady Manick's healthy, and you hope he's back soon. But I think Oklahoma can still field a very competitive team and make this game a fun game to watch. You're talking about a rotation there towards the beginning of your statement. And having a guy like Jalen Hill that adds adds depth, adds some experience. It adds what some people had labeled as a potential breakout player for the Oklahoma Sooners back into the mix. And as you're looking at Bedlam, I think that helps in, in various aspects of the game. One, knowing that he's a forward, you can't have two out for, for the remainder of the season right. and hope to be competitive on the glass. Now, Oklahoma's not going to pull down the most rebounds in conference. They're not going to pull down the most rebounds in the country. It's just not what their strength is. Oklahoma's a good all-around team, but in order for them to con- continuously get wins or continuously put together a stretch of wins, starting with that that West Virginia game, I feel like they need to be at full strength. And this is just one step in that process of regaining every single player, Ooh. having every name available on that bench for Lon Kruger. Yeah, he, here's interesting. When you when you look at um, Oklahoma State and Oklahoma, of course, you know Oklahoma State's got the got the superstar in Cunningham. But when you look at the the breakdown between these two teams, they're almost identical. Have you have you noticed that? 77.8 points per game is what OU's averaging. You want to guess Oklahoma State? 77.6. 77.1. Mm-hmm. You know, when you look at points allowed, it's 80, 68.4 for Oklahoma, 70.8 for, for the Cowboys. The Sooners' field goal percentage for the season, 44.8%. Oklahoma State's 45.8%. And when you go all the way down, I mean, th- these two teams are so similar that it really it, – it, when you look at ESPN's matchup predictor, it actually has Oklahoma as a 61.7% favorite to win this game. So one of the questions that we have here on our on our little docket is the Sooners sitting at 7-4 and four on the season, 3-3 three and three in conference play. We talked last week about that big mashup right there in the middle of the Big 12 standings. Is this a must-win game for Oklahoma? It's still a good question for me, and... And the reason being is the exact reason that you've already pointed out. The Big 12, I've said this, I'll continue to say it. The Big 12 from top to bottom is a is a an above average conference when it comes to the hardwood, when it comes to basketball. And knowing that wins are not easy to come by, one, you have to defend home court, but you also have to take the wins 
much like a TCU, much like what I'm considering an Oklahoma State. At this point, you have to take those wins and think that you can win not only on your home court, but you can also get steal one right. while you're on the road. This is a very winnable game. I don't know that I would term it as a must win game. I thought that one belonged to TCU, kind of right the ship, mm-hmm. get this program back into this winning mindset instead of stringing together three losses, which is what TCU now has instead of just the two Oklahoma breaking that streak on a one game winning streak. The possibility of getting a second win or second consecutive win here is is very real, but to label it as a must win. I I don't know that I'm going to go that far. I think if it was in Norman, you would say must win as, but going, like you said, going on the road, going to Stillwater, you have the opportunity to steal one. You have the opportunity to go and get one back. Mm -hmm. Um, and but I, I agree with you. I, I don't think it's must win, but it's definitely an opportunity laying in front of you where you have a great chance to go and get something on the road because it's it's all about you know evening that out. You lose one at home, you want to pick one up on the road. Now the Sooners already have a road win in Fort Worth against TCU, and they can kind of begin to quote stack the deck a little bit. Because you know you still got Baylor coming to Norman. You know you know you got Texas coming to Norman, and those games become much more difficult at this point, based on what we know about this about this conference, than um, than than what's going to happen in Stillwater on Saturday. So I do think there's great opportunity in front of the Sooners, but I'm with you. I don't think that this is a game that screams must win anywhere on it. Now, the Cowboys come in riding the two-game winning streak with their most notable win over Kansas. And so I think when you add that, that here's a team that beat Kansas. Cunningham's going to get a lot of attention. This is a good resume-type game for Oklahoma. But again, not a game that kills you if you lose it on the road. Right, right, right. All right, so Oklahoma, 11 games into the season. How would you describe the strength of this team? Matt, this is a team for me that resembles the team from last year. And that is going to be their identity, whether you like it, love it, or hate it. Oklahoma is not going to be a team that is at the top of the charts defensively. They're not going to be at the top of the charts when it comes to rebounds. Although I thought they had the potential for that in previous years under Lon Kruger. What we know about this team and what we learned through these first 11 games is that this Oklahoma team is is very guard heavy. Not only are they guard heavy, but they have forwards who are attempting to play that stretch four role, which what does that do? It it takes players away from the glass, and it ultimately means that you're not getting many second chance points, much less offensive rebounds. So what Oklahoma has done exceptionally well at this point, and I think the stats will back this up is when they get to the free throw line, first off, they have to create those opportunities. They've created plenty of them in order to get wins on a consistent basis at this point, at least from what we've seen through 11 games. But when they get to the charity stripe is they're actually making their free throws. I think that's going to be the one, the one thing that makes or breaks this team. I want to say against TCU, correct me if I'm wrong here, but Oklahoma shot the ball exceptionally well. And then you can look at their free throw attempts and they were six of six. That's not a ton of attempts, but when you're knocking down 47% of your shots, you're not relying on free throws. Whereas this Oklahoma team, if they aren't hitting those free throws, I'm expecting them to attempt to draw that foul because the majority, again, of their success and the strength of this team has really been, been those free throws. 
Yeah, and I agree with everything you're saying right there, but I also want to just I, – I feel like we saw it develop against Kansas, and then we saw it begin to grow against TCU, and that's just the way they play defense. They're, they make you earn everything, and if you're sloppy with the ball, you're going to pay for it. They're, they're going to turn you over. We saw the turnovers that they forced against Kansas. We saw the turnovers they forced against TCU. And I think that's something that, the, that they have the opportunity in Stillwater on Saturday evening to really kind of hone in on it as well. And when you look at the schedule, they've got Oklahoma, the next four, Oklahoma State, Kansas State, and well, they're on the road at Oklahoma State. They got Kansas State and Norman. They got Kansas and Norman. And then they go to Austin to play the Longhorns before taking a break and stepping out against Alabama uh, on the 30th of this month. That's a, that's a good stretch for Oklahoma. You would like to get this win in Stillwater because I think you can beat Kansas State in Norman, and then you've already gone toe-to-toe with Kansas. So you have a chance to kind of ride a little bit of a wave of momentum here coming off that big TCU win, but you lose in Stillwater, and you're kind of back back to square one. Right, right. I, I love what Long Kruger's doing with this team defensively, and I know what you said, and, and I agree with what you said. They're not a rebounding team. Well, can, can I correct that ever yeah, so slightly? And when I say they're not a rebounding team, it was all about second chance points. If you remember my exact quote there, it's all about second chance points and an offensive glass that Oklahoma's scoring points will heavily rely on yeah. making that first shot attempt because those second chance points are going to be slim to none in terms of chances. Defensive rebounds, though, is a completely different story, Matt. Oklahoma, I, I, I know that they rebound the ball. And I know that it's something that Lon Kruger puts a heavy emphasis on. And we see that by the number of rebounds that the guards are pulling down consistently. When you look at a player like Austin Reeves and you see that stat line that he has when it comes to rebounds, if that number's hovering three, four or five a game, you know that this team is going to continue to find success on the defensive glass. Right now, Austin Reeves has 5.4 rebounds Per game, I don't know how many of those are on the defensive side of the glass, defensive side of the court, but that's still a, a really good number. In fact, he leads the team. So when we, again, look at this team on the defensive side of the court and rebounding, they're well above average. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if they were a top 25 team in defensive rebounds at the end of the year. I mean... Look, I don't. It, want, it goes towards your defensive. Comments. Yeah, I mean, I, I get that, but also I don't want to be Debbie Downer on that and say and point out the fact that they they rank 132nd right now in total rebounds per game. Well, that's total. And I know you're talking defensively, but but it is what it is. When you look at weakness, uh, uh, yeah, a weakness of this team to me has got to be shooting, because on any given night, assuming Manic is healthy again. You've got multiple guys. You've seen Harmon go off. You've seen Austin Reeves go off. You've seen Manny go off. You've seen Mo Gibson go off. But you've never really seen multiple guys go off together. Mm-hmm. Now, now Harmon, uh, sorry, Harmon, um, Reeves and, and Manic have had some good games where they team together. But you just never really seen the dynamic duo or that that terrific trio, if you will. They've not yet put that together, and so they they go hot and cold offensively. And if I was looking for a way to really critique this team, that's where I'm starting. Is just they're not. You've brought up consistency so many times. They're just not consistent offensively, and and sometimes you shoot yourself out of a game, like like in what we saw in Waco against Baylor. 
sometimes you shoot yourself out of a game just as quickly as you can win a game with making big shots. This is still a good Oklahoma team that has the potential of finishing in the top half of the Big 12. We've discussed that on previous podcasts, Matt, and I don't see any reason at this point in time that Oklahoma still won't surprise some of these higher ranked or some of these ranked opponents in conference. But more importantly, there's no reason for me to believe that they are unworthy of that NCAA tournament berth that is so coveted at this level of basketball. Yeah, I agree. All right, so we've got uh, true or false coming up, and then we got a little bit of football things we got to talk shop for. Well, Matt, as you know, at the midway point of this podcast, we typically have introduced and consistently included a section called true or false, but I want to use it really as a segue to to bridge us between basketball and football. So when we look at this true or false, this go around, I, I'm true. I miss football. I'm going to start with a bit of basketball. And like I said, just transition us right into the one sport that you apparently miss. Oh, so much. So when we look at, at this basketball team, and we look at the Oklahoma Sooners specifically, mm-hmm. there was a lot of focus placed on a guy like Austin Reeves. I don't know if that focus was placed on him because of a single game performance or if all of the preseason accolades were placed on him because of the entire body of work and what he had done previously before showing up in Norman. True or false, though, this is not Austin Reeves' team. Oh, it's false. It's totally his team, especially with Brady Manning being out right now. This became Austin Reeves' team in the final game of, of last season when he helped complete that comeback against TCU. That's when it became that's when it became his team. He is that vocal on the court leader that that he's that guy that if he doesn't play on your team, you don't really like him because he, he's going to pest. He's he's going to kind of pester your ball handlers. He's going to he's going to drive and make those crazy, unbelievable flopping type shots. He can hit inside. He can hit outside. This is his team now. Brady Manick has. I mean, Brady Manick. You mentioned that senior, but Austin Reeves is a senior. The difference between the two is Brady Manick. He came in with Trey Young. He's been there for four years. Reeves came in as a as a as a transfer. But this became his team in Waco, not Waco, in Fort Worth, Texas at the end of last season. And I think it has remained so, particularly right now with Brady Manning not available to this to, to even be there. 100%, this is Austin Reeves' team. When we look at the grand scheme, we take a step back and look at the Big 12. You've mentioned some of the struggles that Kansas has had. They've lost contests to Texas who apparently is a pretty good team at this point of the season with just a single loss. You act like that surprises you. It does surprise me. It does surprise me. Because remember the other day I said I thought Texas was better than Baylor. Yes, and I still disagree with that Okay, we'll see. (laughs) (laughs) Texas has beat Kansas. Oklahoma State has also beat Kansas. When we look at this up and down roller coaster that Kansas has had, true or false, Kansas will not be the Big 12 champion this year. Oh, okay. So let me, I need some clarification here. When you say not be the big 12 champion, you mean regular season yes. or conference? They have won how many regular season? It's been a lot. You're I, talking I tournament, not yeah, yeah, conference yeah. tournament yeah, versus yeah. regular season. Right. I don't know what the string is. It's, it's 13. It may be it's, 14. It's a lot. Yeah. Maybe 17. I, I'm going to just go ahead and say false. It's true. Sorry, not false. It's, it's going to be true. Now, I, I true, think they will not be the Big they 12 They will not be the Big 12 champion. I think it comes between Baylor and Texas. Okay. And 
and I think Kansas – and I, I haven't changed – there's been another round of games since we last recorded a podcast, and I haven't really changed the way I feel about this. I think the top two teams in the conference are Baylor and Texas. In whatever order you want to put them in, you put the Bears number one. I put the Longhorns number one. That just kind of makes me have the chills to say that. But then you start that downhill slide. Still in the upper tier is Kansas and, and Texas Tech. And then you drop down to that big fat bubble in the middle with Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, West Virginia, you know. And you, if you want to throw TCU in there, you can. We're seeing them kind of take uh, take a regression backwards. Um, but I yeah, I don't think it's I don't think the Jayhawks are the cream of the crop this year. I really believe it comes between Texas and and Baylor, and that's those are going to be two epic battles in Austin and in Waco. And I know we're as Sooners, we're not fans of the Longhorns. But you're going to want to watch those games. If you're a fan of basketball, both of those games in Waco and in, in Austin, those are going to be fun games to watch. And, hey, you get to cheer against the Longhorns, all right? I think Texas is the best team in the Big 12, but I'll be cheering for Baylor both times those two teams hook up. You're laughing at me right I'm now. I'm laughing because since the, this, this is just going to work perfectly for my next question. Since you're such a big fan of Texas basketball, oh, gosh. <laughs> since you're such a big fan, I, I want you just to, to kind of peel back the curtain of Texas football for a moment with me. Oh, so we're transitioning from true, basketball to football. True or false. Okay. You the big Texas fan right now. True or false. Please. Sarkeesian. You know, this is, this is recorded, right? This, <laughs> yes. Okay. Yes. All right. Sarkeesian is a last-ditch effort to save Texas football. True or false? I, he definitely wasn't the first choice. And, and you know with Urban Meyer taking the Jacksonville Jaguars job, Urban Meyer was looking to get back into coaching. I, I think everything we read or heard about Urban Meyer turning down Texas – that was all true. I mean, I, they they courted him, they wanted him. I think they they kind of they shot for the stars, and then you see the rise of Bama. I, they, I legit think that they were going to stick with Tom Herman one more year, but then you see Bama continue to rise and continue to rise and continue to rise, and then and then there's Sark right there as the offensive coordinator. So I don't know who said what about being being interested, but Texas jumped on that, and I do think I don't know if it's a last ditch effort because. This is a program that has so much money and such a big alumni base that Texas football is always going to be a thing. They're, that The brand is always going to be there. I'm in Panama right now, the Republic of Panama. The other day I saw a vehicle drive. I'm in the mountains of Panama. The other day I saw a vehicle drive down the road and the guy driving it had a Texas Longhorns hat on. Okay, It is a big brand. And and I don't I don't have a lot of confidence in Steve Sarkeesian. I really don't. We saw him fail twice in the Pac-12. He I I never want to bring out a guy's faults and failures because we all have our own faults and failures. But the stress of the USC program it literally got to him, physically got to him to run the USC program, and now he's going to go and try to run the Texas program. I, I don't see it working. I know everyone's excited. I, you read the message boards after the national championship game, and you see Texas fans saying, well, we we already have better talent. They're legitimately saying, we already have better talent than Alabama. So I, I just – the expectations are so high. They're so high right now, Rich. And they the Texas always does them they they do they do it to themselves every time they hire a coach. We saw it with Mac Brown and it worked out. Mac Brown won a championship. And then what happened? Charlie Strong was gonna be way better than Mac Brown ever was. Okay, well, it, it was a Charlie Strong issue. But Tom Herman, 
Oh my gosh. You know what Tom Herman did at the University of Houston? He beat Oklahoma at the University of Houston. He will be the greatest coach we ever get. Well, okay. It's a Tom Herman problem. Now you're going against a guy who's a two-time failed coach in the Pac-12. The Pac-12, Rich, that is like the lowest brand of football amongst Power 5 conferences, and he couldn't hack it (laughs) twice in the Pac-12. And now the expectation is set. We... It's Googleable information. Go to Twitter. Go to the message boards, and you're going to see Texas fans saying we have better talent on our roster than Alabama. This dude, if he doesn't spew off an, a Big 12 championship in his first year, they will come after him hard. I just, I don't see it working. Do you? I think, don't even know if I answered the question. Do but you, you sure sent me on a rant. Do you think a lot of the hype comes from Sarkeesian bringing in? SEC coaches as those assistants to fill the the position roles. But is he bringing? I mean, they're already complaining because he hasn't named a defensive coordinator, and and so yeah, I, I look Texas. There are certain programs. I say this a lot. Texas A and M was one of them as well. If you could buy them for what they're actually worth and sell them for what they think they're worth, you'll make a lot of money. And right now, they think they're Alabama. Look at look at the Texas taking credit for Heisman Trophy winners in Alabama. Texas taking credit for national championships in Alabama. Yeah, you got the offensive coordinator for that, but does Oklahoma get Florida's national championship when Bob Stoops was the defensive coordinator for the Gators? No, they wouldn't even want it. But that's that's just it's the hype. Okay, Texas is still going to get players, but tell me how Sarkeesian fixes the the cultural problem that that's the big question and that will ultimately because he's already come out his feet yeah he's already texas. come out and said first day you know the what the eyes of texas. texas that's our song and we're going to sing it okay well, excuse me have you talked to the players about that because there was a huge revolt for tom herman there and, there and, was and, and the administration backed the revolt did they, they? Left, they left tom herman in the lurch because I thought Tom Herman backed the revolt and the administration said, no, 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 no. Right. But it was started with some of the administration and and then the band, the band boycott. We're not even going to play it. So how, how, how are you going to have your guys out there singing if the band's not going to play it? I mean, there, there's so much to clean up here. So much to clean up here. There is. But yeah, there's always going to be hype around a new coach, particularly at Texas. Any program is going to have hype around a new coach. But at Texas, it's off the charts. So true or false, he's the last-ditch effort or he's not? I don't think he's the last-ditch effort because I think, like I said, the, the brand is always going to be around. I mean, he, he's trying to – I mean, they're they're trying to revive the program. They're trying – I mean, Brent Musburger, Texas is back, folks. No one knew when Brent Musburger uttered those words against Notre Dame what that was going to turn into for the Texas program. This is an effort to be back, but it's not last-ditch because – Texas is such a brand that it's always going to be around. I'm I'm not saying that you're the biggest Texas fan, Matt. That was all yeah, in jest. Yeah, listen to my response and you becomes pretty clear. Yeah, that that was all in jest, but I do want to really focus on Oklahoma. And one of the things when we begin to look at this Oklahoma Sooner football program as we move into spring of 2021 and we look forward to spring football and eventually that 2021 season. There's a lot of hype on this Oklahoma Sooners football program, which we'll talk about here in a bit, but we also have to look at the key components that Oklahoma is losing to the NFL. The NFL draft I know is still months out. We haven't had 
the NFL Combine. The measurables are not in. But when it comes to the NFL Draft, when it comes to players who have declared from Oklahoma, true or false, Creed Humphrey will be the first name off the board. Oh, um, man, I, wow, that's a good one, Rich. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say true uh, because, you know, you know who I'm thinking about. I'm thinking I Ronnie Perkins. Uh-huh. I, 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 cause I, um, I, I know that Ronnie, Ronnie got a high draft grade and Creed got a high draft grade. I know this. Um, both of their first, second round guys, according to their draft grades. Now they get to go to, um, you know, to, to work out and man, it's really going to depend on, on pro days, combine at workouts, all really what those two guys do. And then it's going to come down to need and you never really can dictate need when it come when, when you're part of the draft comes up with well, that team, if they need offensive linemen, it's going to be Creed Humphrey. If they need defensive linemen. It's going to be Ronnie Perkins. I said a while back, I, I said at the end of last season that Creed Humphrey was draft ready. I didn't say at the end of last season that Ronnie Perkins was draft ready. So I'm going to go with true that Creed is the, is the, this, is going to come off first. This would have been a really good true or false question as well in follow-up of what you've just said, because last year was the first time in some time in years that Oklahoma had a defensive player go in the first round of the NFL draft. Right. The, the where I missed on this true or false segment was saying, is this the second consecutive year where Oklahoma has a first round draft pick from the defensive side of the ball? Right. Ronnie right now, I don't see Ronnie Perkins as a first round guy. I really don't. I, I, I think he could have locked himself as a first round guy. I think he believes he can, he can perform his way with measurables and intangibles and chalkboard talk. I feel like he can. He feels as if he can work his way into a first round. But right now, I don't see that. Uh, it could change. Physically, he's there. Six three two forty seven. He's there. He's got speed. He's got a high motor. He's going to have to go in and have a really good workout in front of the scouts to to. And, and they're they're the suspension. I I know everyone must. Everyone has different thoughts on the suspension, but that's going to come. They're going to have to talk to him about that and see where he is. I hear, um, I hear nothing but good things about the guy. At this point, at the draft for tomorrow, he's not a first round guy. But good, the good news for him is the draft's not tomorrow. You know, the draft's three months away, right. and so he has the opportunity. He has that potential to be a first round guy. Um, but if you made me ask to answer that question right now on January 14th, I'm going to say false. We've already mentioned two names that have declared for the NFL draft from this Oklahoma Sooners football program. Knowing that there are some absences, there are going to be some roles that need to be filled for next year in an immediate fashion. My last true or false question, I guess is really a bonus one because it's number six now. But the last true or false question is true or false. Oklahoma will take more than two transfers in this current incoming class. Okay. So I, I hate to be that guy because I always ask for clarification, but does, does a Juco guy count as a transfer? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Then that's true. I mean, that's a transfer. Right. Well, I just so. didn't know if you're talking about like, you know, there's a particular guy out of coming out of Tennessee looking at yes, a new home. That's, that's where yeah, we're there, there's, there's the division one level, if you will, you know, mm-hmm. uh, FBS. And then there's Juco. And I definitely think that they're going to take, yes, I would say true at this point, okay. 
So, I mean, that's uh, that's just uh, kind of where we are on that. Uh, we're going to get more into Oklahoma and transfers. Transfers? Transfer is actually coming up right after this. Okay, sticking on to that topic of transfers and so forth. Um, I, I Man, you know me in names, okay? Wanya Morris, did I do it right? That's what I'm going with, yeah. All right, Wanya Morris, uh, five-star recruit, a freshman All-American, Leaving Tennessee, playing on the offensive line, if Oklahoma was going to find a a Juco guy, if Oklahoma was going to find a transfer to put on the offensive line, it's this guy. Right. And and I'm just going to say this is the best shot for for Oklahoma to land a transfer, not not counting Chris Murray because he's already in the program, but to land somebody on the offensive line who's not currently with the program as a starter day one next year, he comes in. He, I think would be to me, he's an immediate replacement for Adrian Neely. That that's where, that's, that's where Bill Beatenbow's saying, he goes, I, I right there. That's, that's where I'm going to put you. And man, like I know there's, I know there's depth there. Okay. I know there's guys that have, that have been in the program and, and that want to have a shot at this. And I, I don't think Oklahoma recruits anybody at all and gives them the outside of Jalen hurts. Okay. <laughs> I don't think they recruit anybody at all and say, you come here and you're the starter. I don't think that happens at the university of Oklahoma, but if I'm Bray Walker and I see this guy coming to Norman, I'm probably thinking to myself, man, what do I have to do to get on the field with this team as a member of this starting unit? Because right now, I mean, just depth chart wise only, that spot is Bray Walker's to lose. And when you bring in a guy who was a five-star recruit, had a great first year with Tennessee, struggled this last year because of COVID issues and so forth. But still, man, I I still think it'd be a fun battle with Bray Walker. But I, I think if you don't land him, then I think you can go ahead and pencil Bray Walker in and you've got one position battle on the offensive line. I think if you do land him, You've got two really good position battles on the offensive line. I was really curious when it comes to Morris, the potential transfer, Oklahoma, and the word on the street seems to be that Oklahoma is going all in for Morris, who's an offensive tackle. If he does enter the fold on this offensive line with Bill Biedenboe, mm-hmm. I did have some questions about him not necessarily taking Adrian Ely's spot, but looking at the left-hand side of the offensive line. Why do I mention that? Because there are several young names. You've mentioned a Bray Walker, but we also know about Andrew Rame. We Mm -hmm. know about a guy like Anton Harrison as well, all who have a lot of potential left in them with this program, assuming they stay for the duration of their careers. When you look at what's the, the priority here, the left side of the line takes precedent. Spencer Rattler is not left-handed, so the left-handed line is going to take precedent, and it's where you're going to put a lot of the emphasis in protecting your quarterback. To me, it makes a lot of sense to take a guy who's got two years of experience at the Division One level in the SEC and trying him out there at least for a little bit. Some experimentation, if it doesn't work, no harm, no foul. You put him back into a natural fit on the right side of this offensive line where Adrian Ely is vacating that spot. But truth be told, there's still that young talent. I would try them out on the right side before I tried them out on the left side, as in to get their feet wet, to get them some experience. 
but more importantly, to get them game time live action mm-hmm. snaps. Well, no, you're you're right, and and that's a that's a fair point because the the guy he's going to play tackle. Your, your left side, you've got Marquise Hayes there. He's not going anywhere. He'll be the starting left guard going into 2021. And you got Eric Swenson right there, and and you you have mentioned the struggles with Eric mm-hmm. Swenson. So it's very it's very plausible that you put Morris on the left side and Bray Walker still starting on the right side. I mean, that that's a, that's a possible, uh, a very real possibility. Um, I don't, I don't know, Rich. I, I, I just, you look yeah, at, there's, there's a lot of question marks, right, but you, the, the ultimate question that we're asking that is Morris, a legitimate candidate to enter the fold for Oklahoma. hundred oh, percent. And if Oklahoma lands this kid as a transfer is he a day one starter? Yes. And you've answered both of those yes. questions with yeses. No, if, yeah, if he comes to Oklahoma, he's, unless he just comes to Oklahoma and says, eh, you know, I've got it made here. You know, you look at R.J. Proctor. Okay, there's another good example. R.J. Proctor was was Virginia's – he graded out in their – whatever bowl that he played in, I think it was the Belk Bowl, whatever the, the last bowl game is, he played as a member of the Virginia football team. He graded out as their best offensive lineman. Here's how good things are at the University of Oklahoma. He transfers out of Virginia to come to Oklahoma in an effort to boost his NFL – aspirations and he can't even make the field as a full-time starter on this offense after being the best guy Virginia had to offer. Now Morris is way better than RJ Proctor was at Virginia just based on talent alone. Just, just what's there to work with. He's a young guy. He's only a sophomore. He's going to come in and just depends on the eligibility issues because he's not going to be a grad transfer. So he's going to have to appeal and petition and do whatever he can. There's, there's rumors that the NCAA is going to just kind of write a blanket statement and let people move because of COVID and, and do that thing. If he becomes eligible to play for OU, then he will start day one for the Sooners, be it left side or be it right side. The hole right now is on the right side, but you make a great point about the left side, and he could mix in there. I think landing this guy makes it a lot more fun watching spring and summer workouts because, again, right now you've got one position battle, and that's to replace Creed Humphrey. But you bring this guy in, and you get better, and you have multiple position battles suddenly as opposed to just what's going to happen between Ian McIver and Chris Murray and Andrew Rame at the center position. Now you've got you've got the tackles in play. Last question about Morris. Do you think he was named after the singer from Boys to Men? Dude, I, I, <laughs> I do, I'm not even going to answer that one. Hey, I didn't know, unfortunately, or fortunately, I didn't know that that was the name of a singer in Boys to Men until I Googled. Wanya Morris. I couldn't tell you a single yeah. member of Boys me, to Me neither so, until that moment. Okay, so let's look at this. Uh, <laughs> man, we can take a podcast and turn it south in a hurry uh, just on, on that, those type of things. Um, okay, Oklahoma, a lot of disappointment amongst Sooner Nation for the Sooners being ranked sixth in the final poll. You look at USA Today, the way too early rankings, they've got Oklahoma at number three going into the 2021 season. Is that too high, too low? Is that, is that right on par with expectations? I don't know that it's on par. I don't think it's too high. 
I'm questioning, is it too low? And the reality for me is when you look at the contenders for the national championship, the expected contenders, excuse me, contenders on day one, when, when football kicks off, not just Oklahoma football, when, but when NCAA football kicks off, you're looking at a handful of teams who are replacing a starting quarterback. Oklahoma's not one of them. Right. And so to me, it seems extremely easy to put Oklahoma into a number two position. I don't know that they're worthy of that number one. Number three is, 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 is it's about par yeah. for me. And I look at what Oklahoma has coming back on the offensive side of the ball. I look at what they're losing defensively, but knowing that this is a defense that's continuously trended upwards under Alex Grinch, there's no reason for me to expect that trend to subside, to go away, and to completely disappear. That's not going to be the case. There are capable players on this roster. It's just plugging them in, getting that experience for them, and and having them deliver on the expectation that's been placed upon their shoulders, which I think they can do. Yeah, if you're looking at the top five there in this, it's it's Alabama, Georgia, Oklahoma, Clemson, Ohio State rounding out that top five. And and you're right, it's a lot of it's going to depend on what quarterbacks do. Georgia's not missing a quarterback either. They're they're you know they're mm-hmm. they're getting their guy back. Alabama, I I don't know. Mac Jones may have declared what his intentions are. Um, we know Trevor Lawrence is gone. Justin Fields, I don't know what he's doing. The one that thing that interests me is Iowa State sitting there at number six in this now. Keep in mind, this is the way too early rankings. This is not – I don't think Oklahoma will be number three when the initial AP top 25 or the AP coaches poll comes out. I don't think you're going to have OU number three. I do think you're going to have them top five. But for me as a fan, I'm that guy who prefers them to be a little bit lower than where I think they should be. I, I've got no problem – you know me. You and I have gone around and around about this. I got no problem with the reigning national champion being number one to start the season. Be it LSU, who literally loses everyone to the NFL, or Alabama, who may or may not lose Mac Jones. I, I got no problem with, with the na- defending national champion being number one. Someone knocks them off, they're not number one anymore. All right? That's the way I look at it. I Oh, go ahead. You want to say something? I do. I do. I'm seeing your hands Al- jump. Alabama could easily suffer a similar loss in terms of personnel that LSU no, saw to not the even NFL. Close. Not even close. But here's the thing. Let, let me finish. Okay. okay. Let, just let me All right. finish. All right. There's no way that under Nick Saban, Alabama would regress to the level that LSU did this year. No, I agree. I, I There's there's way more depth there uh, than what LSU had, but I don't think... I mean, if you lose a the, Najee Harris, that was the perfect Devonta storm Smith, on both Matt sides Jones. of the ball for LSU. Perfect storm of just boom, gone. Um, I don't think it'll be that bad, but still, I think Alabama. As long as Nick Saban's there, it's been proven Alabama will be a force to be reckoned with. Right. Um, Georgia. Okay, SEC love. Let, let's give it. I I do begin to wonder about Clemson. I begin to wonder about Texas A&M. I begin to wonder about Notre Dame, and those are all going to be all your teams in the in the top in the top ten to start the season. Where does Oklahoma fit in that mix? I think they're two or three. I honestly do. So I, I think they're they're right on par. So we want to know what you think. Hit us up. You can find us on Twitter at Sports Heartland. On Twitter, you can find us on the internet, heartland-sports.com. You want to read more of our thoughts on Juana Morris? Well, we have them right there for you there, as well as some terrific Oklahoma City Thunder coverage by our man, Zach Lowe. Hey, we hope you have a great weekend wherever it takes you. 
Boomer Sooner, everybody. <laughs>